Clay, I have um, distant memories, fuzzy memories of us covering TNG episodes that starred uh, Reginald Barclay, or at least had him in a, a guest spot. I think we did mm. his holodeck adventure where he sort of creates members of the Enterprise crew so that he can have sex with them on the holodeck. I mm-hmm. think we did that with Sean. Um, there's been a bunch of Barclay episodes he's in First Contact, and we covered that, obviously. Uh, you have to remind me, though, do you have any opinions one way or another about him? Did you like him when he was making appearances, or did you dislike him? He's, he's kind of polarizing. First Contact? Yes. Where, where, where does he show up in First Contact? Uh, he's when Geordi is working with Cochran to rebuild the ship. Barclay comes oh, up no and kidding. he's like, it's an honor to meet. He's very nervous about meeting Cochran. Oh, that's yeah, that's definitely something that I would not have noticed unless I watched the movie since we'd been doing this. Yep, yep. So I, we probably talked about it in the coverage and then it's just left my mind. So yep. I'll be, be sure to point it out and go, hey, next time I watch it's that only, movie. It's like 10 seconds of screen time. It's really yeah. short, yeah. Um, he's fine. Uh, I, I enjoy him. It's funny because watching this episode, the thing that I kind of took away was he he's surprisingly he's a surprisingly modern Star Trek character. Yeah, because he has the least amount of cool, I would say, in as far as it goes um, with the way that he delivers dialogue and his uh, uh, demeanor. He's very nervous and he's very um, like I feel like he would fit right in with the Strange New Worlds cast. Yeah. He's yeah. got a little bit of Tilly in him, you know. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think he's. I think he's fine. I. I think he's a. He's a different enough character in the classic Star Trek that he's. Uh, it's. I. I think it's. It's. It's nice when he shows up. Because um, I think the guy who plays him actually does a really good job, and he doesn't lay it on too thick. Yeah, I. Th- I think the thing about Barclay for me is that, and I don't know if I'm repeating this, is that. Um, his performance is walking a fine line, and I think he stays on the right side of the line the entire yeah. time. He doesn't get too annoyingly grating as his personality is is potential to be. Like he's 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 written in a way that's almost more annoying than his performances, and I think it's a big saving grace for him. He's to me, he's a good he's a good call up character, sort of like he doesn't feel yeah. egregiously um, like. People are saying, like, look at me, look at this returning guest star. But he's also competent enough to return in things. And and he has this sort of a fan cachet that, like, carries him places, mm. I think. So he's he's polarizing, but I never really understood the the hatred for him. I think he's... Oh, people hate him? That's, well... He, I, I'm a little surprised by that. He's, um... He does sort of stick out in the context of TNG where they, like, his... His origin story was they were trying to make a different character, like a character who's not all buttoned up like the rest of the crew members are. So they came up with him. And I can see him, if you really like the vibe of TNG, I can see him being grating to you because he's yeah, so yeah, I can see that. he's so um, obnoxious and like obnoxious in a way that the other characters are extremely professional about stuff. He's extremely neurotic and not um, even keeled. And that can be maybe disorienting or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think he was a really great choice for this episode actually because for for the reasons that you were saying <clears throat> where uh I think if you pulled in like Riker or Worf or some, yeah. somebody else Troy. like that it would uh, just Troy, Troy. Yeah, Troy. It would be too much, you know, um just to have them kind of pop in for a couple minutes here and there. But what's nice <clears throat> about Barclay is uh he's right in the pocket of the kind of character you'd want to do this with and also his um, demeanor makes it that much more difficult to tell if he's telling the truth. Yeah, that's true. And also, just say uh, this will getting into the episode a bit, but I'll just say this, and then we'll get into it. He's um, 
it's a nice touch that he's forgettable enough where the doctor doesn't know who he's supposed to be. You know, yes. it's it's not yeah. like Jean-Luc Picard shows up and they have to treat the fact that it's Picard. It's just some guy named Barclay. All right, cool. So let's get into projections. It's the third episode of the second season of Star Trek Voyager. Came out on September 11th, my God, 1995, written by Brennan Braga, directed by Jonathan Frakes. In universe date is 48892.1, which is 2371. In this one called Projections, the doctor is informed that he's actually Louis Zimmerman, the creator of the EMH, and he's trapped on a holographic Voyager on Jupiter Station, and his whole Voyager experience was on a holodeck. I'm curious to think what, uh, or to hear what you thought about this one. So do you, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, I like this. I th- <laughs> I think by the end of it, it's a little bit, um, it's holograms on holograms on holograms on holograms. It gets a little bit difficult to follow exactly what's happening. Yeah. Uh, but maybe that's by design. Like maybe it's designed to, to keep you off, off, uh, off kilter. Um, but I, I liked it. I was, I was legitimately interested by the mystery of it. And, and while I kind of, I had a theory about what was going on. Um, I'm glad I was wrong. Um, but as I thought they did a good job of slowly shifting the window, um, where it starts off where he's just the doctor and he is a hologram, but then at some point he changes and now he's human. But it's not like there's not like a big moment. It's just like no, he's just human. Like they they just they very slyly slip into this new reality kind of thing. Yeah, great. Kind of um, what I thought was most interesting about that shift is that when he become when he starts bleeding, right, and that's when he realizes that he's human. He mm-hmm. talks to the Voyager crew members, and to my surprise, they aren't immediately of the character of like, of course you're human. You know what I mean? Like he, right? There's right. not a complete universe shift where he everything changes around him. He still is talking to characters that are like, what do you mean? How can you? How can a hologram be bleeding? Which I thought was an interesting choice that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, and unless I'm remembering incorrectly, he does project into the 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 bridge right he doesn't walk to the bridge at the beginning right he gets like transported okay. up there yeah as yeah because i was gonna or whatever because yeah because i was gonna say i think the thing that's nice is they they blur the line because from the beginning everybody else is is a hologram but he turns human as it goes yes so when when uh torres first comes in he scans her and he's got no readings and the ship says there's no life forms and stuff like that but he is still at that point he's still actively a hologram um <clears throat> Yeah, so I I was I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a pretty clever episode. It was like the uh it was like that um schizoid embolism scene from Total Recall for an hour, yeah. which was fun. <laughs> Beads of sweat rolling down Barclay's yeah. uh forehead. I I I thought it started to get confusing when He's standing there with Barclay, and Barclay's like, you have to blow up the ship. He's like, okay, I need to blow up the ship. And then Chakotay shows up, and he's like, Chakotay. Chakotay's like, don't do it. He's lying to you. He's a hologram. And and the doctor goes, Chakotay, so you're not a hologram. And he goes, no, I also am a hologram. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Excellent. Excellent blocking that scene. So yeah, they're just yeah. Every, 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 It's the uh, the Oprah. Everyone gets a hologram. Is this episode yeah. basically? And then it was just like it was like a hall of mirrors at that point where it's like he's explaining that 
Barclay, the doctor is still a hologram, but also Barclay is a hologram and Chakotay is a hologram inside that second hologram. And they're, they're all inside a larger hologram. Yeah. That's, and it's just like, okay, sure guys, let's, all right. It's a, it's a Brennan Braga. This is like peak Brennan Braga of, of this era. Like he did frame of mind, which is a similar thing on TNG where Riker is in a play, but then he starts like having visions of he's actually in the play as a mental patient and he can't tell what his reality oh, sure, is sure. anymore. Um, this is a similar thing. Braga seems to like doing these confusing layers of what is reality on top of each other to mm. try to stack them and ultimately confuse you. Yeah. Um, I'm always, I, I, I always go for that stuff because I like it. I like it when it gets weird and I, you know, yeah. I don't need to I don't don't need to bring up that other show I enjoy that has a episode that does this. Oh really? In a, in a similar way. I've talked about it before. Chernobyl. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. The, hol- the, hol- the holodeck episode of Chernobyl is one of my favorites. <laughs> it's weird. It's only like a five episode season and they do one episode that's entirely on the holodeck. You just don't expect it. Yeah. They booked them for five episodes, but they only had four episodes worth of material. <laughs> <laughs> um Projections to me is, I I was um. I enjoyed this one, and when it was over, I, uh, I was maybe surprised that I didn't like it more than I did. But I think that it's um, it's weird because it's it's so built for the Doctor, right? Like this episode is kind of the Doctor's character in a nutshell. Like, what yeah. is real? Am I real? Is anyone else real? How does how do these different kinds of reality interact with each other, which is supposed to be thematic, thematically relevant to his, like, the way that the crew treats him? is like, is he mm-hmm. a person? Is he not a person? Can you be a dick to him? Can you just, like, is it realistic that if there was a big emergency, would they just abandon him, you know, and leave him behind on the ship and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. And that all mm-hmm. works. It's it's a little bit interesting to me that with a with an episode that's so clearly built for the the character of the doctor and what he's supposed to represent. I think it does the wrong thing, which is to focus on the hall of mirrors aspect of everything. Um, (laughs) I, you mentioned like Chakotay saying he was a hologram. My, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me on this, which is like, okay, I can stop trying to make sense of what's going on is when, uh, he's like Barclay, I'll, I'll go, uh, shoot the hollow emitter and that'll end this program because if I'm real, I'll still exist. If I'm a hologram, that'll stop me. And Barkley yeah. goes, yeah, that's great. Let's go. Let's do that. That'll prove it. And I'm sitting there going, wait, he's in the holodeck, right? He's going to shoot a holographic thing. Why would that do yeah. it? And so he goes yeah. in there and he shoots it. And then he's like, oh, I'm still here. He's like, what does this mean? And then Barclay goes, it was just a hologram. What did you expect to... And I, and, and I was lost at that point because I'm going, yeah. well, why was Barclay telling him to do it? And then only to be like, of course, you fool. Of course, this wouldn't fix anything. That's kind of the moment where I was like, oh, the, the plot's not real. It's not a strong enough mystery or well-constructed enough mystery where I should continue paying attention at this point. Mm-hmm. My downside is that I don't think that the doctor work is super strong enough to be like, that's what this episode is really about. Is the doctor exploring that yeah. stuff? <clears throat> yeah, I think that's the one thing that, that that doesn't quite land is like they get into at the very, very end, this idea of identity. Because um, like I, I feel like he doesn't really grapple with it at all even though they're they're laying this kind of heavy shit on him that he's human and he's got a wife and blah, 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 blah. It's really just like 
he's not grappling with the fact that maybe he's human. He's literally just grappling with the fact that if he does what Barclay's saying to do, he'd blow up the ship. Everybody will die yeah. if he's wrong. <clears throat> but there's there's no there's no moment where the doctor is like, well, on the other hand, if he's right, I'm that means I'm human and I can have a get out of here and have a normal human life. Like that right. never comes yeah. up. It never becomes a, a a thing for him. And so at the end, when you have that scene with Cass and whatnot, it just like it doesn't it doesn't really ring true as him really grappling with anything substantial. And so that's when you end up getting bogged down with the uh, space balls. Let's fast forward through the movie. Where's now? Yeah. We just missed it <laughs> five minutes ago. That kind of stuff. It's like, okay, sure. You know, what's, what's funny about the lack of grappling is that I was struck by um, in the very final scene, he to test that he's actually in his reality. He sticks his hand through the door of the sick bay mm-hmm. and it disappears because he's a hologram and he can't leave sick bay. What struck me about that is that he's happy at that point. And he, so the episode is kind of saying that he's happy about his prison that he lives in at that point. And to me, what was really interesting is what you're saying is that shouldn't he be a little bit more intrigued by the possibility that he is not a hologram at this point, right, that this means right. something. And th- that way, like, in my view of what the episode is kind of or should be about the ending where he sticks his arm through the the hall the uh, the door of sick bay and it disappears is kind of a bittersweet thing he knows that he's back in his reality but his reality is a prison that isn't the same for anybody else on the ship in, yeah uh, that way so I, I don't know it's I thought it was okay. It, it just the the fact that it was such a two man play sequence about them trying to talk about ways that they can test whether or not they're in a reality or not got a little bit old after about twenty minutes of it for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you know, the point of doing an episode like this generally is to press on the the character's idea of self and and reality and 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 what it means. Because you know, um, usually it makes them have to decide which it it has to it, it usually makes them have to look at the other side and really de- decide whether or not the reality they know is 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 the the one that they want because with the presented with the idea that there is this other reality that could be better or could be different there's usually some sort of grappling there where it's like they have to make this this choice that usually comes down to it's the matrix choice is, yeah, is, it's the is, matrix choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like is is the rea- the reality that I know is is not perfect, but it is the one that I that I know is real, and the one or the one that I personally think is real. Yeah, it's it's the matrix choice. Easy way to say it. Yeah. Um, and this doesn't really do that. It just because he's because like I said, he's never he's never really cons- concerned about himself. It's it's he's just concerned about the crew, which I also think is really funny because my favorite scene in this episode is when they're on the bridge and he and uh uh. I think it's the bridge. And Barclay is like, no, they're all programs. He's like, really? Computer, delete Ensign Kim. <laughs> yeah, that's in the, the sick bay when he's reliving his first memory of being in the caretaker episode. Yeah, yes, yeah. Just yeah. delete, um, delete, was it Paris and uh, Paris? Yeah, and Paris Kim. and Kim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the wishes, the wishes of a writer who, wishes, <laughs> who can't go back and change what he's put down. It was, um, yeah, it's. It's um, I found I found that scene while while it's enjoyable and funny, it also felt like um, 
a little bit of the lack of focus of what I thought the character should be going through because they play that as kind of the comedy beat of it. He's like, just get the hell out of here and I'll do what I want. Yeah. But then the the downside is that all that he does to get rid of them is that then they're allowed to, whatever they do at that point, they go on to test something to test whether or not this is real to anybody. Like it just continues that path of yeah. them walking yeah. around and doing stuff like that. And I... I I enjoy the performances of these two. I thought that they work well, pretty well together. Like there's nothing unpleasant about these two actors and characters working together for a lot of scenes. I I think it's just that maybe the downside of Barclay is that Barclay is not really the character that's equipped to talk to the doctor about this kind of stuff. Like, cause he's Mm -hmm. as a character, he's strictly focused on like the technical aspect of what this problem is. Like he's the engineer character, right? Yeah. So, he doesn't really have a, there's no room for the doctor to really have any kind of, um, he's got no, he, the, the Barclay has no stake in what happens. Mm -hmm. You know, like he says that he's from the outside and they're trying to save him, but he doesn't really have a stake. Like if you look at that total recall scene, the doctor who shows up to talk to Quaid, um, has, has skin in the game because if he blows it, on if if he's real then he's about to get shot in the face yeah uh, but you know what i mean so like there's there's a there's a more um he's got a little bit yeah he's got a little bit of skin in the game of whether or not this this um delusion or like facade is maintained with right Quaid. right where barclay doesn't really have that like he, it's it's just a matter of him being like oh well yeah we have to save you before your the radiation melts your brain it's like okay yeah i guess that's fine but if the doctor doesn't if that's not the first thing on the doctor's mind, then it's you need a little bit more than that, I think. But yeah, yeah. That being said, though, I do I do like their back and forth. And again, I, I think I think Barclay being the one to be that character does get you a little bit more rope because he's such a you know nebbish kind of nervous kind of guy that you you don't necessarily know if there is something sinister behind him because of the way that he is trying to convince him is not entirely convincing. Yeah. That's yeah, true. He he's good in he is good in some ways and maybe not as well equipped in other ways to do it, but he is the um uh the like suspiciously nervous character that you you can't really tell which way is up with him, which I think benefits um what Braga did here, which is just about the confusion y mind fucky aspect of what's mm-hmm. going on to it, which I think succeeds uh to the most part. It's it's the um like, it's a it's a bit interesting. Like, I think this is the first time they've mentioned Zimmerman, maybe because DS. We know him from DS Nine, uh, but this mm-hmm. is the first time I think that they've mentioned him on the show here. There's not really even moments like that where he's like, he looks a lot like me. He looks exactly like me. There's no, there's no moment of uh, real doubt for the Doctor. That even puts uh, like the uh, pulls the wool over the eyes of the the audience or anything like that. It never. Yeah. I yeah. never really felt entirely convinced by the mystery, all the way to the front where once the tricorders weren't making readings, I was like, well, something's up clearly. Like, and yeah, and I don't yeah. I don't know how much the episode is trying to hide because Barclay is revealed fairly early, but it never. It maybe never felt like it was fully embracing that. It's one of these episodes. Just I just feel it like it squarely sits in the middle of what it should have tried to do. It should have chose one direction, and instead, it's content to be more middling 
and more trying to do all of the things that it can do. And I don't feel that any of them really make it an exceptional episode. It just becomes a very competent, good episode. Yeah, my my first theory about what was happening is once once Torres talked about um, they had put hollow emitters in like in major sections. Yeah, the, without telling ship. him about it. Yeah, yeah. My first thought was, oh, maybe this is all supposed to be like a a training exercise or something where they're testing out these hollow. Because the first thing she says is, you need to go to the bridge, and she you know sends him to the bridge, and then he gets sent down to um, the mess hall or whatever the hell it's called. Yep. Um, which are two of the places that they put these emitters. So I figured, oh, maybe that they're, it's all going to be like, you know, like David Fincher's The Game at the end. <laughs> Everyone's going to walk out and be like, oh, you did it, everything, it works. But I'm glad they didn't do that. I, I found this to be more interesting. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the hollow emitter is the tricorder thing. The um, they, they have to do a lot with... Yeah, it's a thing that we talked about for the, in the first season for the Doctor characters that they, he's kind of vaguely defined in a way that is both a positive and a negative. Like his his power set is kind of undefined as to what he can mm-hmm. do and why he feels the way and his like why does he feel fear? What's the point of giving this thing emotions right, in any right. in any way? Like he, you'd think he would probably have more of a data outlook on stuff, but he's clearly afraid of things. He gets annoyed by things. He has emotions. Um, so it's just, it, and the fact that you, it's always a big deal about how unique and powerful of a program he is that you can't just like replicate him and re, you can't copy paste his program for some reason. Does oh, you sense? can't? Well, it seems like he, his pro, there's, there's always this desperation to like save his program in some ways. And it's not really the focus mm. of this episode, but it's something that like, I don't, I don't know. I, I always think that it's it's just um, it's built up strangely in that he is maybe I don't know. I'm not even sure where it would be, but he, he doesn't. Um, his ability to be copied and recreated always seems like it would slightly undermine the problem that he's in here. I think it works out because he's whether or not it's destroying Voyager, I think, is the issue. But he's. Um, it's an aspect of him that I find is kind of underbaked and not really brought up in the way that you would think it would be. Maybe is the best way to say it. Well, it's interesting because he's uh, <clears throat> he's more human than Data is, and yeah. since he's a program, that's that's a definite choice. And I mean, I have they talked about that because <clears throat> I feel like it makes sense to the, for a Doctor character to have emotions because you want someone with bedside manner, but which makes it that much funnier that they picked an asshole. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I feel like there's a lot. There's. Am I making this up that there was a conversation where they were they talked about the first version was too nice, and so they had to give him a little bit of an edge. There was something yeah, about that. They talked about reprogramming his personality or something like that. I do remember something along those lines. Yeah, I forget. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it is. It is strange that he he isn't more. Yeah, the fear thing is interesting because that who does that benefit? Like if you're building a holographic doctor program, <laughs> you have it built into your doctor program <laughs> that he's going to look at the wound in your leg and go, "Oh good." Yeah. And then like and then like um you're going to be fine. It's like that's <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's it's it's, I don't I can you can we get that bit out so he's a little bit more convincing? Yeah. And not I, afraid of the 
fact that I'm missing 80% of my leg. He should be a little bit more, because you think in like in horrible situations like the caretaker episode, right, where he's running around and everyone's hurt and he's taking care of it. He's fairly professional there, but he shouldn't have fear at all. The, the strange thing about it is that since like, I, I think maybe it ties into my point of he can be replicated. When he, when he sees Torres coming in the sick bay, right, why mm-hmm. is he scared at all? What can they do to him? Right. Yes. Yeah. There's there's nothing like if they burst through that door, it's not like they can smash his brains in or something. Like right. It's just as far as he knows anyway. No, he could just anything that comes through, he should just be like, whatever this is, I'm ready for it because it can't hurt me. So, well, he should react the way he reacts when the Borg show up in first right. contact. Yeah. Which is where he's. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, which is he's kind of. He's kind of like, what are you doing here? What's your emergency? Get out of here. And then, 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 he, then he, after he sees what's going on, he's like, yeah, this isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> because they, yeah, they like it's, um, you know, he's sent out to delay them or whatever. And so he pops in. He's like, Borg implants cause irritation of the skin. I have some lotion I would like to give you. And yeah, they, they yeah. start scanning him to try to assimilate him or see what it is. And he's just, he sort of has that look on his face. But he shouldn't have the fear thing is just kind of, it's a strange reaction that I, that I understand why they did because otherwise he is just data over again. Um, but it's a, it's a choice. It's a choice that he lives with. Well, I don't know because I think given his personality, I think you can get over that data stuff by just saying he's just no nonsense, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause in that situation, if someone was trying to break into the room, I feel like he would have a much more, he could have a much more, um, it, uh, a reaction that is less affected and less fearful and more exasperated that he has to deal with this sure. shit. You know what yeah. I mean? That kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be down with that kind of thing. I, I, I don't know why. Honestly, I think they made the mistake. If you're going to replicate a, a doctor to put in every ship, I, you should probably be Beverly Crusher, frankly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Pulaski. Just get Pulaski. Yeah. Any of those doctors... Yeah. Um, so, so did you? Uh, a lot of people have conflicting ad- opinions about the ending of this episode. With the uh, <laughs> the, I I was legitimately faked out by the first one, which is when he wakes up in yeah, sick the real yeah. time, and then Kess is like, "I'm your wife still," and starts targeting him. I thought that that was genuinely horrifying in some yeah, ways, mostly good. because yeah. of the way that Kess was hugging uh, her husband, which I thought was just a, a strange way to go about things, but. The second time, once once that first one wears off, you know that the second one is coming at that point. Yeah. So that one's kind mm-hmm. of undermined. But I did like the first one. I thought that was effective. Yeah, I think so too. Because um, yeah, that was that was a good. Because it it feels it feels. I, I honestly, I think it's because Tuvok is there. Yeah, he's he's yeah. the most down to earth one and so when he's like well it seems that we did this and now everything is seems to be okay doctor and he's like oh well yeah of course you believe tuvok he doesn't take any shit yeah he just casually leaves he's like i have to do something else now yes. everything's back to normal <laughs> he has some under underhanded um there's voyagers like subtly funny in some ways so after the doctor's gone through this horrendous experiment uh experience or whatever tuvok has a line where he's like outside of this it's been a pretty quiet day <laughs> yes <laughs> 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 Which I thought was a very funny line. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Was that real Tuvok or was that fake? No, Tuvok? that was fake. I think t- fake Tuvok. That was fa- yeah. Which again, which is like why you believe it because that feels like something that he would say. Where he's like, yeah, actually, it's been kind of boring except for this, <laughs> except for the world world ending thing that you dealt with. <laughs> 
and I thought that was good. But the the end there, uh, where he just confirms everything, and Janeway says, "Yes, you're the doctor," and all that stuff. I uh, it was it was all right. It was also it's kind of weird that it was exactly the same situation, except he just landed in the real like nothing changes between those two realities. Right. Chakotay's like, "Yeah, it was a power surge, and this happened, and that happened." And it's no different. It's just that's reality, I suppose. Yeah. 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 I, I, again, I think it's it's a matter of when you get to the end of it, you don't feel like there's any questions still to be answered. No or, spinning top. No. No. Uh, yeah. Inception spinning thing. Right. No spinning top. Or but also no. You don't feel like he has made a choice really or anything. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that's I think that's the thing that's mainly missing from this for me is is that sort of uh larger character thing that that makes these stories uh so effective when they do them. Would you say this is an episode that suffers from what we've seen so far about Voyager's uh preference for techno babble? Um Yes and no. There is quite a bit of it, but I never I like I would say again. I, I don't know if it's if the only part that really stood out to me was that part when Chicote shows up and things get really complicated. Yeah, and I I don't know if that's on purpose or not. But there is a lot of techno talk in this, and like you were saying, the thing about the hollow generator gets a little bit hard to track. And yeah, um, I think yeah, I think you've got you that stuff. Unfortunately, probably takes the place of more interesting character stuff to do with the Doctor. But at the same time, the Doctor is such an analytical character that it doesn't feel out of uh, step for him to focus on that stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah. I would. Um, I guess I would say that it's less techno babble and it's more that it's just a. Uh, it's sort of pseudo techno babble and that the the plot that's maneuvering them is very technical and it's not particularly character driven so it's it's not that it's overly like let's shut down the c valve pipeline here and that'll rejigger this thing and then we'll move the quantum it's like it's not really made up science as much as it's a let's blow up this thing to get back to reality kind of stuff and mm-hmm. it's it's just it struck me as overly technical and not particularly interesting and uh, or interested in what the doctor is doing it's just well, kind of like taking the place of it in some ways yes i would say it's not overly interested in what the doctor is doing but I do think what saves the techno stuff from getting, you know, you start you start rolling your eyes mm. is that at the base of it what he's telling him to do is just blow the ship up. Yeah, it's simple. And so as yeah. long as you can latch on to you need to do blank to do this to do this to blow the ship up, you understand what the stakes are and why that would be bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um <clears throat> when it comes down to why something or does or doesn't work, that's, you know, maybe it gets a little bit dicey, but uh um they keep the 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 base goal that Barclay is is aiming for easy to to uh, to follow. I think for the most part. So, before we go to patron thoughts, I have a simple question for you. Do you um, do you think that this do you think do you think that this plot makes sense and that it could be explained, or is it nonsensical? Does that make sense? Like, is this a um, is this something that is just it's it's sort of like a primer thing where it's like this is extremely complicated and I'm having trouble tracking it, or is it a this is a nonsense soup that they've stirred up and it doesn't really matter? Because I, I I was distracted by stuff like the hollow generator, but I wonder if someone after this episode post is going to say no, actually this all makes sense 
it's just that it's extremely complicated and you should watch it again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know because uh, I lose track of it. Um, so I'm not totally sure whether or not it is. I don't even know if he wants to blow up Voyager the whole way through. You know, like I don't. I, I, right. I, I sort of lose track about whether or not he should blow up the ship in some in some ways. I think I think there might be some sliding scale of of whether or not it's sensical mm. because there's a, such a sliding scale of what is and isn't real and how things do shift. Yeah. So I I think it would be difficult to track where things turn like if he's the hologram at the beginning but everybody's already a hologram but then he becomes real so like where does this problem start or where has the problem started where does it take effect so i i I don't know i don't know ultimately i don't really know if it matters yeah yeah i'd agree with that all right let's go to patron thoughts at this point thank you for listening everybody if you enjoyed the show you can go to patreon.com slash the penske file Support the show there for a couple dollars a month. And if you do a couple dollars a month, you get to leave your comments on upcoming episodes, which we're going to get to in a second. But first, we have to say thank you to our very special captain tier, which includes Ben Douglas, Tark Latif, Andrew Boudreaux, Christian Boudreaux, Joy Boudreaux. Everyone's playing a joke here. They're having a little fun. <laughs> Kyle Boudreaux, Mike Burnett, Matthew N. Boudreaux, Michael Pond, Matt Cutler, Nick Sergi, Sean Bradley Killens, Brandon Boudreaux, Vault 13 Hero, Dwayne Hackett, Kevin Reyes, Jordan Cooper, Russell Oates, Stephen Minton, HH28, Darth Moss, Derek Zajac, Paul Roscoe, Jake123, Patrick Seba, Dave Davies, Point Extra G, Barry Wallace, Jamie Crow, Captain Brazing, Eric's Boudreaux, Jacques William Seisler, Rahan Jaffer, Nick the Rat, Zane Majors, Olivier Pardieu, Grappler John, Boudromon, Tom Hickey, Captain McMunchausen, Celestine Champagnon de Boudreaux, Jonas Boudreaux, Two Vicks Must Die, Diz Brother, Kiss McLaughlin, Royo, Andrew Nakam- uh, Admiral Nakamura, Cleffy, Bo- Cleffy Boudreau, Ed Marcus, <laughs> Cleffy Boudreau. <laughs> Gerard- Cleffy-, Cleffy Boudreau is my favorite Catskills comic from the 50s. <laughs> the, the man, the myth, the legend himself is Jeremy Boudreau, J Man, the undiscovered M Boudreau, Robbie Duffield, Will Clay, Atanga Boudreau, Artorias, Zalen Maru, Jeron Boudreau, and John Aylman. Thanks, everybody, for ladies being and so goddamn French. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm Camp Akinaka welcome <laughs> to Cleffy Boudreau. <laughs> Cleffy Boudreau is the uh, the small town lawyer who gets you out of any kind of any kind of skirmish you find yourself in when Matlock's not around. Well, I got our I'm, own uh, our own little Ramones group <laughs> over here. I'm curious how this was organized because I don't think I saw anything about it. So that's that's good. <laughs> well done, everybody. All the Boudreaux. I couldn't put a, a little bit of stank on all of the names because we had to get through it. But uh, thank you very much, Mister and Monsieur Boudreaux. Let's go to patron thoughts about this one. We'll have plenty before, of time to say Boudreaux. Before we jump into that, I do have a question yeah. uh, about, the, about the episode for you. Do you think this episode would have been better if instead of the doctor, it was Janeway who was in this position? Uh, where she has to blow up the ship. Because now Janeway is in this position that everything that has happened, this giant failure of hers, where they've been sent 75 million light years away or whatever it is, is now possibly a holodeck thing. Yeah, well, I guess that's the... So so the fact that you can ask that question and I can think about it, I think shows the weakness of this episode where the Doctor is the only character that this actually makes sense, right? Because his whole thing is tied to the am I real. If Janeway can do this episode and it's just as good or just as functional, I think that's not 
um, maximizing why you would choose the doctor as this mm-hmm. character. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think the Janeway version is more normal or traditional. I think that would be that's the easier play is that you take the one one character and say, oh, maybe it's all just a dream. Yeah. Maybe this awful, awful thing you're living through is all just a dream. That's probably the the easier way to go. So I think it is more interesting yep. uh, in theory to use the doctor, but I'm not sure they they uh, they ring as much as they could out of it. Uh, and before we get to the patron comments, my last thing is that um, I really like the cold open to this one. I think it's an effective yeah. cold open. Yeah, I, short, short and to the point. Yeah. Short to the point. Great mystery. You go, what the hell is going on? I kind of wish there was a real episode where this wasn't a fake reality where this happened to the crew. I think, I think yeah. that would be kind of interesting. Yeah, I th- I was thinking that too. I was like, yeah, what, what would he do? Like, does he is he now? Can he pilot the ship? Right. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's that would be that would be fairly interesting. Because I I would like to see the that episode where maybe they don't get abducted by the Kazon, but something mysterious happens and they're off the the ship. I would like to see a situation where he has to MacGyver himself because he's so limited in where he can go and what he can do, like to to be able to fix oh, that. Sure. It would be kind of sure. neat. Yeah. So let's go to pitch and thoughts. If you're a five dollar up commenter, five dollar up patron, you can leave some comments. Tax Owl Bear starts us off with projections. An interesting episode, though not necessarily one with a satisfying conclusion, and one of many that raises questions about why you just can't back up the doctor, considering he consists of ones and zeros at the end of the day. Until a later episode does just that. That is. So especially especially when we know at this point in Star Trek history, they are uh, 200 years past the point of being able to download a planet-sized consciousness yeah. onto the hard drive of the ship. Oh, yeah. No, oh, yeah. Anything's <laughs> but possible. But we can't, we can't talk about that, <laughs> Do you? <laughs> I'm going to send you uh, Cleffy. I think it would be nice to mix up the comments here. I think sometimes uh, you probably get a little bit bored if I'm just reading all the comments. So if you want to alternate, this is Cleffy Poudreau uh, who wrote this comment, and it's a poem. So if you want to give your best reading. <clears throat> Barclay guest stars this time to tell the doctor to blow the ship to hell. Though the doc learns to feel, he decides Voyager is real, which makes him, which makes this a holodeck episode done well. Four kinoplasmic radiations out of five. Well, that one doesn't rhyme. <laughs> doesn't doesn't fit in. Kyle Boudreaux says Paris and Kim being deleted automatically makes this the best episode of the series. I think how much people <laughs> like this one hinges on how they react to the inevitable disappointment of the ending. It's weak and was always going to be considering it needed to get back to the status quo after 40 minutes of exploding it. But thankfully, I find most of the episode enjoyable enough to withstand the whiplash. It's a classic Braga mindfuck mystery, a funny two-man play, and it feels like an actual Doctor episode after his disappointing holodeck adventure last season. But... Of course, it features a character from a previous Star Trek series, so by the rules of modern Trek, Wes must hate this episode. Four podcasters with double standards out of five. Yeah, fuck you, Wes. <laughs> he has a little <laughs> winky face at the end of it. So he's joshing me. He's joking. I don't remember saying that's that I, the, I don't that's like... That's the French for you. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't remember what my context is for not liking returning characters, probably in the new series, but I liked strange new world. So I guess it's, uh, it's destroying your, your take on my take right there. In front I of saw, you. I was, uh, I was skimming through the strange new worlds, uh, discord thread. And, uh, I, I don't know if they mentioned that one of the showrunners or something mentioned that, uh, Scotty was actually going to show up next season. Yeah. They're considering it or something. I didn't read yeah. the article, but it looks like they were, uh, teasing legacy characters that they could bring back 
Yeah, and they the 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 crowd didn't seem too thrilled by that. But you know what? <laughs> Love a good Scottish accent. I would like to see Scotty. I think he's he. We've said it on the Patreon if you're not familiar, but it's uh, he's a character that has not been developed, so he could be the sort of, like he's he's there to be able to be fleshed out a little bit. Um, I just sent you Norman Buckwald's comment. Mm. Ah, Brandon Braga is still in TNG story form at this point, and this episode brilliantly further develops the Doctor while wowing the audiences as to what is really in the holodeck. Throwing in Barclay was good for this story. Minor downside is the fake-out at the end is a bit much and provides repetitive expository explanations that were not necessary. Still, this one gets five Kazon puss hogs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you were going the other way. I read it the other way the first time, man. <laughs> puss hogs. <laughs> five, five K's on puss hogs out of five. <laughs> I can't tell. Is that? I guess that's good. The the, the puss hog is is a is a positive marker. I guess. There's a um. There's a there's a joke that was like. It must have been like maybe it's like a Reddit thing or something, but um. Someone's, <laughs> I don't. It's obviously yeah. You can't tell what's real or not in the internet. But it was like it's a text message from a guy's girlfriend, and she's texting him saying, "I have a big pussy blister," right? And it's like the misreading there. But you don't realize how uh, how dissimilar those words can be. But they look. You're you're inclined to go one way over the other. I think as you mm-hmm. as you age, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like um. Uh, the Bruce Springsteen's "I'm on Fire," right? He has mm-hmm. a uh, he has a line in that song where he's like he's infatuated with, with a woman. And he, there's a line is um, I wake up in the night with the sheets soaking wet. And there's some I just uh. read some comment. It was like when I was eight years old, I thought he had wet the bed. When I was sixteen, I thought he had had a uh, an omission. And now as I'm mm-hmm. older, I realize what was actually going on. It's just that it's just that he ate <laughs> hot wings before he went to sleep. <laughs> Got the sweats. Uh, point X to G says. Most of the time when a show does a matrix like what is real and what is an episode, they don't fare particularly well because the audience is fully aware of what's real. Projections does a fantastic job of digging into the doctor's psyche and bringing forward what he thinks and questions of himself, which is more interesting. This is by far the most unusual use of Barclay, although we do now know why the doctor has such a poor bedside manner because Reg was in charge of his interpersonal routines. Oh, I missed that. I didn't pick oh, that up go. at all. Okay, sure. Also, mark this as the second holodeck breaks and doesn't work right episode it, it also it makes it that much stranger that if, if barclay was involved that they didn't use beverly as yeah. the right as the uh thing yeah he should have a little bit he, more of a uh, sexual bent to his stuff yeah he'd be down there getting his puss hog looked at <laughs> this is this is a uh, changeling <clears throat> i like this one good middle of the road episode it's a mind fuck ep and that's a plus picardo and schultz are good that's two pluses the fake out in the last five minutes was pointless because they just explained the same thing again later minus but got a genuine chuckle when the doctor deleted paris and kim plus saru three miss me miss me now you have to kiss me out of five i feel like i feel like this is in code uh i'm surprised that the so i i guess the, the the consensus is the fake out doesn't isn't people don't like the fake out because they just say the same information over and over again i guess yeah yeah the the ending fake out you're talking about the yeah, very final yeah. one i think yeah is that well 
it's tough because I, I like the first one, as we said, but the second one is so redundant, but you know that you're back in the real world. Right, it's like yeah. it's exactly the same situation. Yeah. It would have been, yeah. it's just another of not really exploring it. Like Amy came in, um, it shows how well I was faked out by the ending too. Amy came in right at the first fake out where he appears in sickbay and two boxes of stuff and then Kess reveals uh, that she is in love with him in this reality or his wife or whatever. Mm-hmm. Amy walked in at right before then. She's like, I didn't know these two had a thing going on in the show. And I was like, I think this is the first episode that's hinting at it. But then, every, then, then you under like, then the reveal came that this was not the real reality. It's like, Oh, okay. That all makes sense. But it shows that it's a fairly effective twist at that point. Well, the weirder thing about it is that in the real one, I think it's the real one. She's like, Hey, don't tell Neelix about this. He's yeah. jealous. Yeah. And it's like, I, Hmm. Cass, you could do better that's not i don't know if that's the way you're you're not supposed to keep secrets about crushes can't find a better man can't find a better man uh did i just send that one to you this is good middle of the road yes you read that brandon boudreau says ouch my brain hurts i think of this episode as voyager's version of cause and effect i like the idea of kind of evil barclay but the doctor being married to Cass. come on and Neelix's scene with the Kazon should have been deleted. The fake out is a waste of time. And remember the name Lewis Zimmerman. Three dilithium matrixes out of five. Do you think like do you think it would have worked better if <clears throat> the doctor it was more clear or or laid into that the doctor actually kind of wanted to to be dating Kess? No, that's that's what would have made this better. Like if that had yeah. been a thing, that there was some kind of actual like that that goes to my confusion because I thought it was like, oh, is the show setting up? This is the doctor actually thinks about her or like cares for her in that way, but mm-hmm. it's not really, it's not doing that. So it's strange that they do it at the end to um, kind of trick you that way into thinking that there's some development going on that's not actually happening. It's also weird to me, like the I, I don't know. It's <laughs> having having the holographic doctor have the huts for anybody feels strange to me yeah, yeah like it feels like he should be the one who is rolling his eyes at all the stupid emotions being thrown around yes. on the ship you yeah. know <clears throat> this is aaron million picardo is great here especially when he deletes tom paris too bad that action didn't last this episode was confusing but that was the point of it the Neelix scene was pointless, which can be said often. Three confused doctors out of five. You know, I actually don't mind that Neelix scene because I think it's silly enough that it's it's a good first indicator that something isn't right. Oh, Neelix doesn't seem right to me in that scene. Yeah, yeah. And, and the fact that they're just like there's a Kazon in there and they're just like not really moving. Throwing shoes at throwing, each other. <laughs> yeah, they're just, it's, they're just throwing vegetables back and forth at each other. It's not, it doesn't feel right there's something wrong with that action so yes. I, think, I think it's fine yeah i um <clears throat> i liked it too it's it's it was kind of it was it was kind of a little bit tonally all over the place like they tried to do comedy where the doctor slides through the the opening in the wall mm-hmm. to like get through mm-hmm. and it, it's kind of being silly i i wonder if it should have been more creepy or unsettling to make you think that something's wrong here i think neelix is acting weird for neelix which is supposed to be that way but um, you know what would have been interesting and added an interesting layer to this episode? If the doctor had gotten mortally injured. Yeah. So like if if in the process of doing whatever, something blows up and he gets like a shard of metal through the, the stomach or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. something where it's like, okay, shit. 
now he's got to make some real decisions because he can die here if he doesn't shut this thing off yeah and get medical help instead so then you've got a little bit more of a pressure on him as to in in terms of what decision he's going to make yeah um yeah with that add, i guess the um I'm just trying to think of some way to, that that would add to his actual. I think I think there is something that the doctor could learn. That that feels borderline to me about a an episode that focuses on how he could improve his bedside manner in some ways. You know, like because because if he actually starts dying, he'll have a different perspective on his sort of gruff bedside manner with people. I think mm-hmm. there's something in there. Maybe they'll have an episode like that. Benjamin Espinoza says, whatever this was, it was way better than the last two. But even this like this one, like the previous one, seems like an extended short track where we get a lot of time with just a few characters. But it has the Doctor and Barclay, so it held my attention. Louis Zimmerman will make several appearances, and Picardo always plays the two Doctors in a way that you feel bad for Hologram Doctor. Three out of five. This next one is Groppler John Boudron. And it's coming to you right now. <clears throat> Just what the world needed, a 90s syndicated television remake of the worst paced scene in Total Recall. Oh, come on. That's a great scene. Uh, Total Recall acted out with Howling Mad Murdoch and Coach Cutlip. I don't know what. The, I don't get that reference. <clears throat> Waiting around to see what. That's, uh, Murdoch is a team. It's uh, what Reginald oh. Barclay plays. And I don't. Who's Coach Cutlip? I'm not sure. That's a reference beyond me. Co- what? Barclay was Murdoch in a team? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Oh, that's fun. Waiting around to see what Technobabble caused this is right up there with waiting for the Discovery Writer's Room to stop shitting the bed. In case you forgot, a subspace anomaly calls a kinoplastic radiation surge to disrupt the holodeck's computers. In case you're wondering, no, that never happened before and hasn't happened since. One lovingly frozen VHS frame of Sharon Stone out of five. <laughs> what did you think of the um, the new holodeck design? I was I was kind of taken aback by it. It looked like it was. Uh, <laughs> looks it like it's like a work in progress. Yeah, it looks like a construction site or something. <laughs> the TNG one is so cool. Why did they get rid of that design? I I was trying to decide if it was meant to be just a change for a change sake, or the idea is like this is the best they got on the on Voyager. You know what I mean? Mm. Like they had to adjust some stuff, but yeah, the the. The black, the black with the the yellow tape is is iconic. Yeah, because DS Nine had a different one, but that makes sense because it's not Starfleet built. Like that's right, quarks right. stuff, and so you'd expect it to look different. But the the yellow and black is just so cool and iconic looking, and it's it's much better than like they bought like toilet paper rolls and glued them together and stuck yeah. them to the wall. It's, <laughs> this is, sucks. This is awful. Yeah, I I the the TNG one is nice because it's like so clean. It's it's so cheap yeah, that it yeah. seems really expensive. Yeah. So it's like it's such a cheap solution that it's like, oh shit, this must be like some real science fiction shit. <laughs> like this you you can't even see you can't see the screws. Who knows how this thing works? Yeah. <clears throat> and then your your holodeck, you don't want pointy bits sticking out that you can just walk into. I don't think yeah. unless you know. I don't know how it works, but Artorias says, projections, Robert Picardo is probably one of the best things to come out of Voyager, and this episode highlights why. His interactions are really enjoyable to watch him seeing to to watch from seeing him crawl around to avoid the Kazon to deleting crew members he finds annoying and enjoying it. This episode also did a really good job of messing with your mind on what was fake and what was real. Too bad they couldn't stick the landing. Also, why Kess? Seriously. Three broken hollow emitters out of five. This- I don't know. I get it. I kind of get it. 
Cass. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's got a nice she's got a nice voice. She's a good-looking girl. She's, she's an appealing character. <clears throat> um they haven't done much with her recently, but she's she's I, I can certainly understand her for the doctor. Um this is Jaron Boudreau. This is probably the most overlooked and maybe most novel holodeck gone wrong story the franchise has done. Even its execution is somewhat average. Rather than watching the struggle of real people trapped in a fantasy for the umpteenth time who witness the existential crisis of a hollow man who realizes that he's living in reality. That's another good Verhoeven movie, Hollow Man. <laughs> that he's just... Actually, it's not very good. I don't remember it being that good. <laughs> I've seen it a lot, and yes, it's not very good. <laughs> that he's not just a computer program, but in fact a real person. Having Barclay being the one trying to convince the doctor that his real life lies beyond the confines of the hollow matrix when he himself had to be convinced of the same thing in a different context makes for a fun reversal. Hmm. The episode isn't terribly groundbreaking in its approach, though, and everything plays out more or less how you'd expect it to. They might have benefited from cutting the early segments of the Doctor transporting around the ship during a crisis, which is honestly a good enough concept to be its own episode, and gone all in on the more surreal aspects of the Doctor's questioning of his existence. Sweet, sassy, molassy, booyah. 3.5 kinoplasmic radiation surges out of 5. The sweet, sassy, molassy was was me. That wasn't actually in the thing. Ad-libbed. <clears throat> Royo says projections Braga provides a mind screw classic outdoing even frame of mind just when the doctor appears to have a handle on the situation the rug gets pulled out from under him again and again until Braga goes after the audience itself by including Reginald Barclay with outside knowledge of TNG that the Voyager cast doesn't have access to even the audience is taken for a ride questioning just what is real and what's not making the twists and turns especially excellent and like frame of mind we learn a great deal about the character going through hell in this case the doctor's unconscious desire to actually be a real person this is effectively gaslighting the episode. However, the tricks overstay their welcome with the final fake out, so we'll have to dock half a point for that. 4.5 Banjo Mans out of 5. As Iron Maiden once said, what is real, future real. It's true. That was, that was off of one, the really bad Iron Maiden <laughs> from the mid-90s. <laughs> this next one is Stark of House Stark. It's another bottle episode that doesn't make use of Voyager's setting in the Delta Quadrant. You could see the ending coming from a mile away, but the episode was carried by the excellent performances of both Picardo and Schultz, three out of five. P.S. Who put Barclay in charge of testing the Doctor's interpersonal skills? It's a bureaucratic decision if I ever heard one. Matthew N. Boudreau says, Projections, is the Doctor projecting his desires in this fantasy run amok? It's funny to watch him delete Paris and Kim, but I did begin to question the show myself when I saw the redoing of the first time the Doc is turned on in Caretaker. The addition of Barclay's weird but fun connection and the Kess as wife and the twist there was well done. The idea that the Doctor needed a day off raises the issue about if the Doctor is a life form or is Janeway out of her mind. Overall, a fun time making the Doctor more real. Four out of five. I think um, I think there's more there too with the title, where I think you could get into more. What are his? What are the? What are his personal projections about what he wants and how yeah. he wants to be viewed by the other people on the ship and stuff like that? But they they don't really they only they get into it briefly at the end, but ultimately it's uh, <clears throat> not really the point. Yeah, none of it feels like it has an impact or like it that it was building to that or anything. I think that that's my sort of problem with the character work of it. Mm. This one is Jonas Boudreau. A deservingly praised episode, Picardo and Broccoli. Broccoli? In the TNG introduction of him, Picard calls him Lieutenant Broccoli. Ah. 
I've only been doing this for so I'm a fan. <laughs> I watch the show. Uh, Picardo and Broccoli shine brightly here in their chemistry and respective dramatic performances. I like that Braga said that in this episode, he basically turned Descartes' evil genius into the Barclay figure, making Descartes' hypothetical demon a literal, tangible sort of figure. I heard LeVar Burton was nearly going to play Barclay's role. I think Barclay is better suited for it. 4.5 out of 5. That's interesting. Jordy. Um, Jordy yeah. being there, yeah. I, I did not know that. I I think he's a better... I think he might be better than Barclay, actually. I don't know, because I trust Jordy. That's true. Like, I, I, don't, I don't sense... I wouldn't sense any possible malice coming from Jordy. Like, if, if mm. I was the doctor and Jordy LaForge showed up and was like, doctor, we need to shut this down, I'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever you say, commander. I like the, the thematic thing of him having a visor and not really seeing what we see. Mm-hmm. That, like, I think that works for some reason. I um, I get I get what you're saying. Maybe Barclay is better. I I, I feel that the, like plot wise, what Barclay is doing here is basically the engineer character, and I think that Jordy is the better engineer character for that kind of a mm-hmm. thing. So I don't, I don't know if it would work out better, but it's an option. Uh, let's see here. Oops, that's projections within the same paragraph christian boudreau says i like the escalating weirdness building from plausible to outright madness i know it was all a dream is kind of cheap and i don't like the double reveal but barkley and the doctor are a lot of fun together the episode is sufficiently mind-bendy to entertain wasn't always a fan but the questions the doctor asks about the meaning of his existence land with me better after rewatch for heroes and demons is actually a good episode and you can't convince me otherwise out of five got a little, got a little <laughs> drunk with power at the end of that comment Latte Librarian is here. You can get that one. 85% chance that Clay mentioned the episode of Buffy where they did the same thing, only they landed the ambiguous ending better. She called it. Smiley face. Well, (laughs) technically, no, because I didn't directly mention that, and I could have been talking about any number of episodes that did something like this. So, Are you on... This is Buffy's uh, bread and butter, as they say. As a trained medical professional, the doctor should recognize the signs of a controlling borderline abusive boyfriend when Kess says, don't tell Neelix he gets jealous. Four Picardos out of five. You wouldn't like him when he's jealous. And no one does, unfortunately. I think we've only had one Netflix. Uh, I always want to call him Netflix. I think we've only had one uh, Neelix is jealous episode. Imagine, that was the one the, re- <laughs> imagine the synergy if, if his name was Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was the one where he got he like broke his back or the, no they took his lungs right and oh he, yeah, yeah yeah and he was he was upset with the doctor or tom paris flirting with her while he was, he was I, laying there i just imagine like when they're off duty neelix turns into jake lamotta from raging bull <laughs> yeah it's, <a> lot. <laughs> it's just <laughs> extreme violence throwing shit against the wall did you fuck my wife <laughs> <laughs> that would that would give him some edge honestly if he, <laughs> yeah, if he was just give him something <laughs> If he was just a, if he was just an incredibly abusive boyfriend, I would find him to be much more appealing as a character than whatever he is here as the chef. Unfortunately, <laughs> when he shows up on when he shows up in season three of Picard, that's probably how they'll write him. Yeah, I hope so. He's got some. He's got some learning to do. Final comment. Also, I'm kind of I'm kind of insulted that it was only an eighty five percent chance. I know. Come on. Well, you seem arrogant if you go 99%, right? Yeah, well, you know. Also, think of a comment would have backfired tragically 
85 seems, if you had not brought it up, 85 seems fair. I miss, <laughs> I miss 85% shots in XCOM all the time. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's, it's just a hedge. It's smart to make. That's fair. The Undiscovered Mubudro says, final comment, projections. The Doctor is my favorite character on the show, so getting to watch him lead the story was a treat, but the layered reality mystery was ultimately a bit unfulfilling. Nothing felt like it hinged on anything meaningful as the Doctor's emotional journey didn't really lead him to a greater understanding of himself. However, after listening to Picardo's voice for 45 minutes, I realized he could do a mean rendition of Chocolate Rain. Three, some stay holograms and others feel the pain out of five. He does kind of have that guy's voice. Thank you very much, patrons, for leaving your thoughts. Hope you enjoyed us alternating reading the comments. <laughs> and we will be moving on to our final thoughts right now. So, Clay, what are you going to give this one? Projections on our scale of one, two, five. Uh, I think I'm going to give it a four. Okay. I I I was engaged by this one quite a bit. It felt it felt very Star Trekky to me. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think the they don't they don't get as much out of it as they could, but uh, I, I thought it was a fun, different episode for this show so far. So yeah, I think I'm gonna give it a four. Might be a low four, but I, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a four. Yeah, I liked um, I liked everything about it. I, or I liked like the I liked the way that it was set up. I would generally like the plot. I would, it's sort of the thing that would interest me as a Star Trek episode as a concept. Um, I think by the end of it, I was just. You know, my definition of a four is would I show this to someone? And I think it's just short of that. I think it's sure. like not quite there. So to me, this is a very good three in like a, a str- like a pretty solid episode. I just I can't give it a four. I'll give it a three and be happy with it. That's fair. All right. We're done. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for supporting us at patreon.com slash file. Thanks for leaving your comments, patrons. Thanks for joining the Discord, all that stuff. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we get the hell out of here? Yeah, I was listening to uh, You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette today. Mm. And uh, first of all, never knew how good a bass line was in that song. It's Flea. It's Flea. I didn't know that either. Yeah. It's Flea and Dave Navarro's playing guitar. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I never really paid attention to that song in the 90s. and that I, uh, They're not in the video today. is the thing. It's just yeah. ge- generic guys <laughs> yes. wearing black t-shirts or in the video. Really? Uh great song i know that doesn't need to be said but it's it's uh you know it's just one of those ubiquitous songs at this point but when i sat down and listened to it i was like jesus this is a really good well-written well-performed well-produced song it's it's really good that's a great album honestly it is it's a really good however so many good songs on that album i was i was also shocked to see that every single Alanis morissette song i knew came from that album but yeah yeah um it's a good seven uh, of them eight of them or whatever Head over heels. I, that's a banger. That's a good song. Yeah, <laughs> or heels over I thought head over. I, I thought ironic was from a later. Uh, oh, really? Album that's yeah. from that one too. Yeah, yeah. that's um, an iconic video for me growing up. That's like yes, they played that twenty five times. Yeah. 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 Uh, I will say, however, there is no musical sound for me that is as dated is the, as the nineties. Um drum loop okay like like program drum loop yes i don't know where it started but it like as soon as i hear that it's like ooh, this is 1993 mm-hmm. and it, it <laughs> alanis uses it quite a bit on her album i guess because they uh, i think she recorded it as like the whole thing is a demo and they just actually like built off the demo but yep. uh but like you know she uses it 
Enya uses it. Like it's a yeah. very it's a very identifiable sound. It's like the white version of the New Jack Swing beat, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's it, it immediately brings me back to the '90s. Not necessarily in a good way because I don't particularly like the way it sounds. But yeah. Um, aside from that, Rotten Heart Picture Show, badass. Uh, we just the last episode of season one of Badass went up recently. We do a Q&A. Thank you all for your questions. Uh, we do a little bit of a recap. Uh, I think we're going to take a little bit of a break, and then Sean and I are going to come back and talk about uh, after both issues of Red Hood come out. I think we're going to talk a bit about that um, as kind of a bridge episode between seasons. And uh, Amanda and I are still making our way through the second string of Stephen King on Patreon, so uh, be sure you check that out too. Speaking of the 90s, I just finished reading Chuck Klosterman's book called The 90s, where he talks about the 90s as a decade. That was a good book. Mm -hmm. Um, But he brings up Alanis Morissette in that one, too. Do you know know Liz Fair? P-H-A-I-R? Yes. I I don't know her music super well, but I'm aware of her, yeah. Yeah. I I was kind of, I mean, I I know the name. I was unaware of what she was, uh, or like as a songwriter, or the album that came out around the time that Jagged Little Pill came out. Mm. Um, but a really interesting songwriter with like really some X-rated lyrics. <laughs> yes, in some of yes. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, the most the thing that I was most taken aback by um, when I was listening because I bit of a, I did a bit of a deep dive on on that song today. Uh, I watched Rick Beato's breakdown of it, which was really nice because you, you ought to know. The, you mean yeah, yeah, yeah? He isolates all the tracks and stuff. And I was just I, that that album came out. She was like twenty or something, or twenty one. Yes. Yeah, probably probably wrote it when she was eighteen. You know, yeah. yeah. The level of intense anger mm-hmm. in that song is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't know how I I saw a clip from earlier this year where she performs it with like Olivia Rodrigo. Yep. And it's like this is fun, but it's like this song is so angry. Mm. How how can you just physically keep singing these lyrics for thirty years? <laughs> you think you'd grow out? Of, you you'd have to grow out of it. Yeah, that's yeah. something I always wonder about. Uh, I mean, I guess now when you sing those lyrics, you just picture all the houses you've bought or something. Yeah. But <laughs> it's it's really interesting because it's such the song is such a like legitimate, honest piece of angry songwriting. Yeah, that it's. I feel like it would take a toll on you to sing it for that long. You know what's kind of interesting is that... Um, <clears throat> like, look at Dave Mustaine. That guy's, like, starting to implode from 30, <laughs> 40 years of hate. From hate. Ooh. Um, yeah, the, uh, what's funny is about the, the uh, You Ought to Know song. Uh, growing up with it, I always had a uh, sort of, like, treating the rage as, um, like, authentic and justifiable and stuff like that but mm-hmm. I've, I've seen enough reaction videos from people from young people that they find it to be an embarrassing song really which i think is interesting yeah that it's like okay. a that the the narrator of the song is too obsessed in a way and like obviously that's the point of it uh, yeah. is, to, is to do that but I've, I've seen a lot of reactions of people that think it's kind of a funny song to laugh at for the reaction to things that way um, interesting it's tough because I, I never felt that way and i i don't know if it's a it's an age thing or something like that but it struck me as i unique 
I do wonder if it's a perception thing because I saw a quote from her where she was saying uh, she was kind of confused by all the reactions she was getting from that song or that album in particular because so many people were um, uh, cheering her for how empowered she was and all this kind of stuff. And she's like, I don't know if you listen to the lyrics, but the only way I get there is by being very much disempowered for a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like, that's a really good point. It's not, that song particularly is not sung by, is not written or narrated by someone who is in a good place. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, that's understandable. And I, like, I, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to fault it because the song doesn't have to represent some greater truth. It just has to represent like right. that moment in time uh, that we were right, talking right. about. But yeah. it, it did, take the song did take an undeniable unbelievable hit when you learned it was about dave coulier <laughs> yes <laughs> yes it's true. It, it cannot exist in your mind the same way after you no, learn that that's no. the case and you know it is him it getting, is him getting blown in a theater is just something yeah that I don't. I just not something i ever wanted to picture <laughs> in my mind but i was when i was I, there's there's a, a clip of her doing it with olivia rodrigo another one where she's doing it with with taylor swift and there's just something really strange to me about and obviously, I, I'm I'm well outside the the realm of of uh, rebellious teenagers at this point. But seeing her up there singing next to Taylor Swift, asking, "I wonder if you think of me when you fuck her." It's like, <laughs> it's like it doesn't have the same sting, and it feels kind of weird now. <laughs> yeah, yep. It belongs to her. The song belongs to her. It does. Yes, can't be covered. That's it, guys. Thanks very much for listening. Check out all the content on the YouTube channels or the independent podcast feeds. And otherwise, we will be back with the next episode, which I think is called Elogium. We'll be back for that. See ya.